Hey, welcome to Church Online and wherever you are, it would be great to touch base with you. If we don't know you, please connect with us and just go straight to our website, kenmore.church, click on the Next Steps Launcher by pressing on the yellow button with the white feet and select Fill in a Connect Card and we'll get straight back to you. Let's have a look now at what's coming up at Kenmore Church. Our powerful formation courses are back after two disrupted years with a whole new vision for how you can take part. Starting with our brand new 7pm Sanctuary experience on Tuesday nights, you can then break out for your group time. We also will combine a shorter, cheaper and in-house weekend experience with a powerful Sunday evening service each quarter. For April, we are taking regos for two courses. Refresh is for those who want to go deeper in their engagement with the Holy Spirit and Reform is for those who know it's time to break through and grow in a particular area. Find out more at kenmore.church forward slash growth track or go to our events page. We'd like to thank our congregation for their generosity in giving, which allows us to fuel our various ministries. Proverbs 3 verse 9 says to honour the Lord with all your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. You can give through direct debit or online at kenmore.church forward slash give. For more information about anything that's happening at Kenmore Church, visit our website at kenmore.church or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. We hope you enjoy the service. Welcome to the beginning of this new series called Entheos, where we're talking about re-engaging the true God within. And when I say the true God within, as opposed to the false gods within, we're talking about engaging with God in a way that not only gets you through this current situation we've all been through over the last couple of years, but really sets you up for the next stage of your life. Because our walk with God needs to be one that's continually getting closer and closer in proximity and presence in his life. And that changes much about uh, how we live, the priorities of life, the power of life, and so on. You know, we need life more than we have for the longest time. Christianity has been under threat now for quite some time. But let me give you a recap of where it's all come from to get us to this point that we're at now. You see, since the early centuries, the idea of being a Christ follower has never been so questioned. It began as a sort of radicals only, be prepared to die choice, impossible without the Holy Spirit. It was all or nothing. And of course, with that sort of mentality and the sort of people who would buy into that, it spread like wildfire until about 323 AD when it became very civilized and instituted because the Roman emperor of the day, Constantine, became a Christian and made Christianity essentially a state-based religion. So there was a good side of that, but there was also an evolving, incredibly dark side of that. It brought massive exposure to the Christian faith, but also a dilution of impact. It, it became no longer a spirit-empowered, all-or-nothing relationship. Now it became an enforced religion, expected, not invited. Anyone indeed could and did claim faith in Christ, even bloodthirsty Vikings and murderous kings for all sorts of agendas. It became about politics, papal power, 
not about personal faith. But all the while, through that whole season, and I'm talking now of many centuries, a powerful remnant of the believers empowered by the Spirit has always remained. But now in our day, we see a breakdown of what was then created in Constantine's time called Christendom. And in recent days, we've seen a real breakdown of the norms. You see, since the 60s and 70s, society accepts less the assumption that biblical ethics are valid. For all those centuries, it was just assumed what the Ten Commandments said, what the law said, that was right and wrong, and it was largely unquestioned. But after 200 years of the age of reason coming in, philosophy and so on, and finally the freedom post-war that came in the 60s and 70s, it all came under threat, fiercely challenged. Existing church structures in the Christendom setup failed to adapt, and we're seeing the end of that cycle now. Then we come to the 80s and uh, towards the early 2000s, and the, a thing called the church growth movement gave slick presentation, big promises, and a real grandiose presentation of the gospel. Did a lot of good, uh, and some things that were not so good. But what it's done is, in fact, the people who've come through that have now come with many questions, and we get to the place where we are now. We found that many are deconstructing, many are disillusioned, many are disappointed, many are trying to are grappling for reality and truth of what the gospel means in our day, in our place. We've found that presentation, as slick as it can be, can't replace power. Concerts can't replace connection with God. Slickness can't replace substance of God's word. And a great looking form can't replace true freedom that can only come from within. And so we've seen as COVID has accelerated all those trendings to a, a point where it's been a complete circuit breaker for Christianity. An increasing polarization has begun between those who are sleeping and those who are seeking. It's almost like this bandwidth has become more and more drawn to its two ends. For those who are the sleepers, and I fully understand uh, how COVID catalyzed that, that circuit breaker broke the rhythm of their Christian life. No longer are they expected to be there. No one knows whether they're online or not. They're not on rosters anymore and so on. But through that time, the underlying questions and the disappointments overcame their zeal and their faith. In the absence of a daily and weekly example and good leadership, their mind and their time has become diverted. But a substantive gospel and a grand reason would genuinely win those ones back. At the other end of the spectrum has become those who are more and more invigorated to become what I would call the seekers. They're very much concerned about the faith of themselves and their children. And that if they had to, they would meet under a tree if they could only find real connection with human beings and with God. Some needing acceptance for their complicated and questioning lives have wondered whether any church can really meet them where they're really at these days. They're longing to experience a grand God, not necessarily a grandiose preacher. You know, neither the seeker nor the sleeper uh, are out of place in this walk. There's a place for them, and this is the right series for people like that. Uh, and, but the place that we, that we find ourselves in that spectrum isn't a stagnating place. It's a path. It's a trajectory. It's a movement. Even, even if it's towards something that's not necessarily positive, it's movement. Sleeper's trajectory is ultimately towards further and further unbelief. There's no reliance or desire, just loose threads and a stalled life. Seekers, on the other hand, are moving towards pursuing God, the real personality that engages with them. They want his presence and his peace and his power. But you know, none of us want to be identified as the sleepers. We'd all want to be called the seekers. 
But there is a more dangerous place than being a sleeper, and that's one who I would call stalled. They're not moving at all. There's no trajectory. There's nothing. There's just nothing going on. Their spiritual life is just seems to be non-existent. It's not waning and it's not growing. But all those categories, everyone on the spectrum, needs to be listening to what this series is going to bring you. I can't provide all the answers because everyone's situation is so different, but I can give you a pathway into something new, into this new experience of God to help you re-engage with Him in a new way because the way you did in the past is not going to be sufficient for what's coming in the future. This journey is yours to take and the outcome will lie with you. At times of great disruption and social evolution, God says to us what he has always said to us. And you can find a great reference in the Old Testament of people who are coming to a similar sort of crossroads. And it says here in Jeremiah 6, 16, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you'll find rest for your souls. You see, the path that we are treading is not new. For millennia, his people have grappled in seasons like this with doubt, with drifting. And yet God doesn't come with judgment on you and expectations. He doesn't say work it out for yourself. He says simply ask. And asking is not demanding. Uh, it doesn't mean we shake a fist and go, why do children die and what about crusades? It's not, it's not a, a demanding attitude towards God. It's a sincerity where we're asking God for wisdom, direction and truth. And asking isn't a constant monologue, endless talking, but no listening. Asking requires seeking and sensitively listening. This series is called Entheos, re-engaging the true God within. He promised to always be with us, but we aren't always with him. That's a reality, isn't it? In the moments where I cry out, where are you, God? You know, I often hear an echo saying, I'm here. Where have you been? In the absence of intimacy with him, I drift into doubt, I lose faith, I over-question, and I wonder. But when we come to the crossroads, we find our defining moments. When we ask the question, we see God sort of sneak up on us. And it's almost like these moments sneak up on us more than we sneak up on them. Without warning, this God within seems to be before us. He just says, ask, and he'll show us. He's always inviting life, but allowing us to take a lesser choice. That's what love does. See, real love can only exist in the existence of an option not to love. That's why he created two trees in the Garden of Eden. He gave love the choice not to love. Our choice and faith at that moment determine and become a real fork in the road of our life story. In a moment, we'll see this in Luke chapter 19. But let me preface this with example, an example from my own life, one of my own defining moments, my own pathway uh, moments where I just had to ask the good way. It was many years ago, and, and like many who are going through a similar situation now, I was managing a growing discontent about church and about leadership and how we were doing it all. I was a layman. I was just a church attendee and just seeing lots of stuff that brought incredible uh, numbers of questions. I could see that the world's greatest endeavor, which was the way I've always seen the local church, was not attracting the greatest leaders. I was frustrated and ready to walk away from church as I knew it. But a defining moment snuck up to me in my car one day as I was driving along. The speaker that I was listening to had grown a church to 15,000 souls, mostly from those that had been converted in that setting. And he began to then reel off and demonstrate the credentials of his own ministry team entitling his message, Talent 
matters. And he wasn't dismissing the reality that it's Christ that builds his church. It was highlighting the need for us to play the best part possible. And as I listened to that tape, I stopped the car. I was so, I was so moved by what he said that I, I, I found myself shouting at the, at the radio going, I knew it, I knew it, I knew leadership mattered, I knew it could be done, and I knew if we just bring our best to the table, relying on God to do his best, that things can change. And from that moment, I decided to be a part of the solution as much as was humanly possible, rather than complaining about the way things were. In Luke 19, we see Zacchaeus. He had a similar defining moment in, in chapter 19, verses 1 to 8. It says this, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. And he probably wasn't liked by too many people either for all that. But you've got to embrace the scene here. This guy had lots of money and probably very few friends. He was known to be ruthless, but his heart, like most, was actually open to real truth. It goes on. It says he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Interesting that it highlights that he was a, a little man, and maybe he suffered little man syndrome, who knows. But he made a move. Little Zacchaeus, hated by everybody, made the move to check out and find truth. He took the step from being stalled to becoming seeking, even if it was only one step. And the reality about God, if that's all that we can summon in ourselves, that we take one step. For me, it was hitting the play button on a CD. You know, if we take one step towards God, he'll take a thousand towards us. And it goes on to say then that when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. You see, Zacchaeus was seeking, but Jesus was hunting. The seeking moment turned into a defining moment when Jesus' vision was really seen by Zacchaeus. He thought he was seeking Jesus, but all along Jesus was hunting after him. And then right away before him stood this new fork in the road, and he had to seek the ancient paths. His vision for life after spending time with Jesus had been made so much bigger because Jesus' vision for life and kingdom was so much greater than any empire that Zacchaeus could make through his own efforts and stealing money from other people. Jesus showed Zacchaeus the good way and he couldn't say no. So it goes on to say that Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. Can you imagine that? Half of all that he gathered to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody, he says, out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Man, that is repentance. That's transformation. That's change. And this is what defining moments do in our life. They become forks in the road that from that point on, the rest of our life is irrevocably changed because our values set, our priorities, our motivations are comprehensively shifted by a bigger vision for life that can only come from Jesus Christ. You see, defining moments bring revolution instead of an evolution. It confronts us with a greater reality, a higher cause, a greater purpose, things like redemption, salvation, mercy, justice, the value of a human being. And once they are before us, they demand a response. It's a revolution. Zacchaeus saw his gains as worthless and people as worthy. Integrity overruled personal gain. But only people desperate for change can seek out such a revolution. Usually we revert to what I would call the gamified life, the gamified life. 
You see, gamification refers to the motivation of constant reward and upgrade. If you play video games or you're involved in sports, you know completely what I'm talking about because games and sports are based on this idea of gamification and human beings are suckers for it. We go for personal bests, we lump medals, we measure our scores and we pursue them. You can gain a new life, a new salary in life or a new rung on the ladder, a new set of clothes, whatever. But in the gamified life, it's all about constant evolutionary upgrades. It's just one step after the other. There's no transformation required, no new path required. You just keep pursuing the path that you're on and keep trying to improve and get better and better. And you get the thrill of the next big thing that you've earned through your own hard work. That's the gamified life. But these transforming forks in the road dismantle that gamified mindset and bring a true revolution in our life. You know, there was another man in scripture that sought Jesus out and he had a gamified mindset. He was one of Israel's real winners, constantly in the winner's circle, constantly getting the PBs, if you like. He was like an Ivy League jock who had done it all right. You know, it had gone well for him. He'd chosen his paths, his priorities and his friends. He'd ensured life's graph always went to the right and up. So he visits Jesus for the next upgrade. And we pick it up in Mark chapter 10, verse 17 where he comes to Jesus in the night. He says, good teacher, he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Can you see the gamified mindset there? He's, just, he's done it all, but what must I do now to add to all that I've done and all that I am? And Jesus calls his mindset out. He says, you know the rules, how they're working out for you. He comes back and just says, I've long since hit that level. What's next? I can tell I'm not there yet. And he, the reason he came to Jesus was this echoing, haunting phrase that sometimes in our hearts is quiet and almost indistinguishable. Sometimes it rattles around and won't go away. I can tell I'm not there. I'm not where I need to be. This life is not what it's supposed to be. I know there's more to this. So Jesus comes straight back. One thing you lack, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. But it was too much. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. He couldn't trade in the gamified life. He'd picked up too much that had gone on too long and the idea of what would look like backtracking his steps to take a new path was just out of the question for him. And there's that haunting echo in his head, I'm not there yet. Pick that up and, and wonder, is it in your heart? Or does your heart say, I need a better retirement, more money, I need purpose, I need holidays. Whatever it is in your life, I'm sure somewhere in there, you know that's term, I'm not there yet. There's something else, there's something different. But sometimes we realize all that we're doing in life, all that we've gained for so long, and, and it's quite confronting, turns out to be quite a diversion from what actually matters. This applies to us all. It applies even to guys like me, pastors who are supposed to have all this together. 17 years ago, when I'd just come into full-time ministry, uh, I was enjoying it. Uh, my boss liked me, uh, people liked me. I didn't ruffle feathers, if you can imagine that. I wasn't looking for a defining moment. I'd, I'd had mine several years before and come into ministry. But this defining moment was there looking for me. Somehow, someone gave me two books. One was by a fellow called Brother Yun, called Heavenly Man, and another one by a person from a church so different to what I was in. It was confronting what he, the way he saw life and the way he saw God work in his life and in his church. These two books gave a, a startling and stark and uh, example of supernatural life that you just couldn't explain away. 
It was confronting. It was a life where God healed, where uh, broke men, he broke men out of prison, where, where visions were had. There were all sorts of stories, some of them too much to put into a video like this. It was just like the Bible. It was just like the book of Acts. But it was here. It was now. It was in our context. And that, contra that contrast created uh, an alternate reality for me. And I could see all of a sudden what was possible as opposed to what I was seeing. And it was a fork in the road. And I had to ask, Lord, what is the good way here? Because that contrast made these two paths crystal clear. I could go through uh, powerless, unoffensive motions in life, do what everyone required, or I could call people and demonstrate the biblical gospel of words, works, and wonder altogether without dismissing any of it. It felt to me like I had no choice. And after many years of this, thousands of testimonies have backed that up. But pretty quickly, my boss no longer liked me. The crowd that I was pleasing now became polarized. Many of them had wanted a pastor, but I'd become a provoker and pretty much remain so to this day. What about you? I wonder if you're heading for a defining moment. The next step in your life may well require a new path, not an upgrade on the path you're on. You know, little of what we have earned in our life really matters. There's a new way. There's only one true way to true life. So in the reflection on your own situation and from the last couple of years, what's your trajectory in life? Are you getting more and more sleepy or are you more and more seeking? Perhaps you're stuck in the middle, stalled, fully distracted. As we begin this Entheos journey, it's all about a reset or a preparedness to reset. I'm going to take you on the journey that helps you do that. But first of all, we've got to want to reset. We've got to look at that path and ask God, what's the good way? Whatever the fork is before you, it requires faith for you to take the step that he's going to call you into. I say faith because it's faith and nothing else. You don't need to be smart enough or have all your questions answered before you begin. You don't need to be perfect or even what you would call ready. You don't even need to know all about where that pathway will take you. All you need to know is that it's God before you and you can trust him. And if he says, go this way or that, that he will take you there if you rely on him. You know, God has never done a thing to betray our trust. He's only ever loved us sacrificially. He's only ever offered you abundant life. Jesus, uh, when he spoke the, the letters to the church in Revelation, said a, a haunting comment because he was talking to a church. He said, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Whoever opens the door, I'll eat with them. He stands before us today. Now the doors that God creates only has a handle on one side. He can knock, it's up to us to open and let him in. Will you let him into your life in a new way? Perhaps he's calling you to rejoin a church or pick up your devotions again and prayer. You've been away from him for too long. Perhaps he calls you away from lust or ambition and more and into rest and peace. Perhaps he's calling you away from bondage and into freedom. And we have a course called Reform that you can register for now that will help you with that. Perhaps he's calling you to experience his spirit in a new way. We have a course for that too, a whole experience called Refresh, which you can go online now and register for if you're quick. Perhaps he's offering you forgiveness and salvation. We have Alpha running now and you're welcome to join. Just go online to our website and register now. But perhaps you don't know. And all you can do is hold out your hands and say, Lord, whatever path you want from me, 
I just say yes. So let me pray for you now as we close off this session. Father, I pray for each one who's listening and watching. I pray that you would show them the good way. Lord, I pray that you would give them faith and the zeal to pursue your path, whatever that cost may be. Because Alana, Lord, that whatever that cost is, you give us all that we need for a life of godliness. So show them your way. Show them yourself in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.